Welcome to La Casa Blanca Podcast. I'm joined today with my boy O after Real Madrid win 2-1 to one against Real Sociedad. How are we doing today, O? We're doing absolutely fantastic. We got three points and uh, a win, but at this stage in the league, only better be just getting the W, which we did. Yeah, 15 points from 15 available. I really can't complain. Vinicius Jr. looks like he's going to be back sooner than expected. And, you know, I just, we have Champions League tomorrow. I'm feeling good. I'm loving getting into football season. And then it's going to be ruined again once we have the international break in October anyway. But, you know, we pretty much have two games every week until the international break. And, I enjoy when we have two games every week because, you know, I'm not just sitting around waiting for a La Liga game every single weekend. Are you looking yeah. forward to the Champions League then, I'm guessing, too? I mean, I'm, I know um, how much you love the club, so. I'm looking forward to seeing Real Madrid, but, like, as a, as a casual fan and a casual football fan, I can't help but be underwhelmed by the schedule for the Champions League for the next couple of weeks. I mean, to, I mean, to, to, tonight's games are pretty shit. <laughs> They're very shit. Like, I'm, I'm not even excited for PSG versus Borussia Dortmund. I'm not even going to watch that. Um, and tomorrow's game, you know, I'm excited to watch Real Madrid, but, you know, Bayern versus Manchester United, I mean, I'm, that would be... That, that, you would think that's the biggest game of the of the week, but still, I mean... If if you watch Manchester United, you know that game is gonna be. You know how that how that game is gonna go. I mean, they're gonna get. Well, that's shattered. why I'm gonna tune into it. That's why I'm gonna tune into it so I can see the downfall of Manchester United against Bayern. Like to me, yeah. that is just worth it right there. But yeah, I mean, just international break just fucking sucks. I mean, I mean, I really miss watching Real Madrid. If if we could just like, if there was a way to avoid international breaks, I mean. Uh, it just feels like there, there's an international break every 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 single month, which for me is just fucking ridiculous. I mean, it's a nuisance. It's it's stupid because players get used to a certain rhythm when it comes to club football, and then that rhythm is cut off. I mean, we've seen it happen after the World Cup. We were dominating the league. We were pretty good in the league, and then after the World Cup, we just fell apart. And, you know, I, I feel like the same thing happens during international break, but, like, on a smaller scale. Like, you will have, like, one bad game right after international break, but that one game is enough to destroy your entire season, unfortunately. Yeah, and unfortunately, that... We're not usually a team that does well post-international break. We usually nope. struggle. Um, and that's why when we went down 1-0, I was just kind of like, yep, here we go again. Um, and, you know, I believe we've probably conceded every goal that this season, probably before the 15th minute. Um and even in the Celta Vigo game, you know, we had that goal that was uh, called off. 
and that was also early in the game. Are you concerned about the goals that we're letting up early in the game or just the goals that we are conceding anyway? I mean, the statistic is we've conceded. Every goal that we conceded has been in the first 10 minutes of the game. And I guess that just shows the lack of um, concentration from the players when at the beginning of the game. I mean, it's it's really... I mean, I, I, I mean, if you think about it, that's basically what happened to us against Man City. They hit us pretty hard in the second leg um, early on. And as a consequence, the team just fell apart. So it's like... It's like what Carlo Ancelotti always tells the players, and that's something that we're used to hearing from Carlo Ancelotti, that, that the club has to suffer, the, the players has to suffer, right? And I guess he tells them, suffer the beginnings, and then we'll figure it out from there. But, you know, if you, sometimes if you can see at the beginning, you'll end up paying the price, because especially in La Liga, because players can... Uh, I mean, we've seen it against Hitachi. You barely won against Hitachi. I mean, don't see that. It was a bit easier because we... We scored the second goal at the uh, second at the 60th minute, um, but against Hitafi, for example, it was we were like a couple of minutes away from losing the game, from uh, drawing the game, and losing uh, two points. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a yeah. And anytime you and drop it's points, it's something that we should. Yeah. And I do, I agree that it's concerning. I'm not, a, I'm not like overly concerned about it though, because um, something that, you know, I see you tweeting all the time. You're like underperforming your XG again, underperforming. And that's going to be a common trend all season um, because we're going to create a lot because we have fantastic dribblers in Vinny Bellingham, Rodrigo. We have, uh, you know, with the way Fran Garcia and Danny Carvajal are positioned, it's they're going to create chances as well. You know, if Tony Cruz is on the pitch, you know, he's going to create chances. So we have a lot of chance creation, but we don't really have a lot of finishing. But I don't necessarily think that it's going to be a bad thing that we create a lot of chances. Um, but it's going to become a problem at some point. You know, there's going to be a game where We're going to create a ton and nothing's just going to come off on our end. Um, and, you know, we would like the defense to shore it up a little bit at the beginning. But, you know, uh, that was a fantastic ball by Kubo. Um, and, you know, just like Kubo, Real Madrid was a team of two halves. Kubo was a team of two halves a player of two halves. Kubo was absolutely demolishing us in the first half. And then the second half, we kept them a lot more quiet. You know, like Real Madrid, we were pretty shit in the first half. And then in the second half, we pretty much dominated. Um, and, you know, maybe that coincided with Fran Garcia's two different halves. Because for me, you know, the first half was like, oh my God, fucking Fran, Jesus. And in the second half, you're like, Fran, yes, this is the Fran I've been waiting for. This is the Fran I saw at Rayo Vallecano, right? So, you know, what are your thoughts on either Kubo's two halves, the team two, the team's two halves, and Fran's two halves? 
Well, Kubo, it was the first half was pretty good. Um, it was pretty dangerous. It was still to that um biggest threat, but um, I feel like if we had Kamavinga on the pitch instead of Cruz, he would have he would have kept him he would have kept him quiet. He would have kept um both. He would have kept him and Fran would have kept um um Kubo quiet, but it always felt like Fran was marking two players because there was always Kubo and then another player on the edge of the box waiting for a pass from Kubo, whom Cruz was never really marking. Um, and I mean, for the first goal, I, it was a great pass from Kubo, but still, I mean, I felt like Chiuameni could have uh, tracked um, Susidat's players run better. I mean, he left them completely alone. I, I've seen the replay. I think it's, it, it's more of um, Chiuameni um, not tracking that play. I mean, he, was, he basically left them stranded. Um, but yeah, I mean, Kubo's first half was amazing. Second half, not so much, but, you know, um, he, he, he's definitely, uh, he was definitely a threat still, even, even if he didn't have a great second half. Um, Fran's first half, I don't think it was that bad, like I said, I think he would, he would have played a lot better had Kamavinga been with him. Cruz is just not the type of player to track back or, you know, know how to man mark. So that that was, I mean, that was a fail on Ancelotti's side more than anything. Um, um, as for our second half, I mean, I didn't think we were bad in the first half. I think we were we were quite good. I mean, we still created a lot of chances. Um, but the second half, we, it, I mean, I was actually disappointed in the in the second half. Uh, I mean, we played great for the first like twenty minutes after we scored. Uh, no. We played great first 20 minutes of the second half, uh, but right after we scored, and after Ekola and Shilalti took off Huisi Lu for a midfielder for Ruku Modric, I mean, I, our, I mean, our intensity went from like 100 to like 20. We could have easily lost that game because, um, because Ancelotti decided that he wants to keep the lead and not increase it. I mean, we barely had any chances when we took Kuzi Luo, which makes sense because he played Rodrigo, he's been having an off game um, at striker. Um, it's like he, Ancelotti wanted to do anything for Rodrigo to score rather than the team win. Um, we, he didn't sub on Brahim until the 88th minute. He only played like five minutes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I actually, I, I mean, as a, as, a, as a team effort, as a as a general play, I actually preferred the first half and the second half just because we could have easily lost the game. We could have easily wasted the game away just because potential off these stupid subs and stupid choices. Yeah, and we easily could have lost the game anyway in the first half if, you know, um, Sociedad had their shooting boots on, you know, like that one cross that Kubo hit to Baron, Baron Chair. Baron Shaw, whatever the hell his name is, that's lost on the top of my head. Um, he had that beautiful header, you know, that I believe Kepa saved. I don't really remember what the uh, yeah, I kept end product it. was on that. Yeah. Um, but I remember sitting there like, oh, my fucking God. 
And, you know, if Oriaza ball is in, in an offsides position, you know, Kubo scores that absolute banger. Um, you know, and not to talk about Kubo too much, but, you know, he just kind of grabbed the game by the horns and, you know, I, I don't know what his plan is or what he wants to do or where he wants to go, but if his goal is to come back to Real Madrid, uh, he definitely made a case for it. Um, but all that being said, I do want to, you know, talk about Tony Cruz and the diamond. I don't really think it suits him that much. I don't really think he can play the DM role because he doesn't track. I, you know, that LCM role also has a lot of tracking uh, responsibilities. And so does the RCM role. And, you know, it just doesn't seem to suit him overall and accentuate his qualities. Um, Tony Cruz is a fantastic player. I, you know, there's a lot of discourse on Twitter talking about it's ridiculous. Tony Cruz doesn't starve. You know, a lot of people are bitching and complaining. He's our best mid. He's this, he's that. Whether he's our best mid or not doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, we're playing in a diamond and in this diamond with an offensive left back like Fran Garcia, who's going to get up the pitch. We need someone that's going to play off Fran Garcia and soon to be Vinicius, which is Kamavinga over Cruz. Do you have anything to add on to that about Cruz and the diamond, your thoughts, concerns? I mean, the thing is, I mean, Cruz in a diamond makes no sense because, I mean, unless you're playing against tired legs and you sub him on or you switch to a 4 3 3. I mean, that's when you can utilize Cruz the best. But in a 4-3-3, from the beginning of the game, you're, you, you really do not need Tony Cruz because you just, in a 4-4-2, in, in a diamond, you need stamina. You need strong players. You need players who are fast. You need players who can track back. You need players who can run up and down the pitch for 90 minutes. But Tony Cruz is simply not that. Yeah, he's, he does just be honest here. He's just not that. He actually never was. It's not even an age thing. He's just he never really was that type of player. He's he's a controller. He he slows down the tempo and he can just bring it back up just like that. That's that's what he does. But in a four four two, in a diamond, what you need is um you need to cover for your fullbacks. That's why Tony Carvajal is so good because he has Fede watching his back. That that's why Vinicius and Marvico are so good because they have fucking Kamavinga and Fran watching their back, right? When when you have a a, a midfielder like Cruz, first of all, you put a lot of pressure on your fullback, which is Fran Garcia. Second of all, you put a lot of pressure on your attacker. On your left side of the attacker, which I guess in that case will be Rodrigo to track back. The reason why a 4-4-2 works is because you got Jude Bellingham, Rodrigo, and Vinicius, I guess, or Rizalu, or whoever, or three attackers, whomever they are. You don't need them to track back because you got players like Fede and Kamavinga and Chouameni who are fast, young, strong, who can um, who can track back. They can track back. They can run for 90 minutes. Uh, they have the stamina to do so. 
So it's a system that relies on a specific type of players that Tony Cruz simply is not it. Neither is Luka Modric. Um, I mean, if 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 one of them wants to play, they can play like a ten. I don't know if Tony, I mean, I get, maybe Tony Cruz can play that role. I, I haven't seen him in that role in like a few years, but maybe he could pull it off. Fukumaji could definitely pull it off. But you don't ask Ju to track back. He does it. He tracks back, but he doesn't necessarily track back, right? He, Rodrigo could track back. Uzi could track back, but they don't necessarily need to because their main focus, the main focus of our attack is to score goals. Our midfield is supposed to defend to progress the ball and to create chances for our attackers. But Tony Cruz can't do two things. He cannot defend and he cannot um cannot track back for the fullbacks. So he, having him on the pitch just doesn't help anybody really. Um I mean, people say that he's our best midfielder. I mean, he's one of the greatest midfielders of all time. He's definitely a great player, but I judge what the best midfielder in my team is based on what works for my team the best. And currently, our best midfielder is, I, I mean, in my opinion, I would say uh, Fede Valverde. That's just my opinion. Maybe Jude, maybe Jude Bellingham. But Jubarim is more of an attacking mid, so you can't really compare the two. But if I'm gonna compare, if I'm, if I'm gonna have to choose between Fede or Kamavinga, for example, Fede Chumeni or Kamavinga, I would definitely go with Fede. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's my answer. Yeah, I just don't see him as our best midfielder. Yeah, I I tend to agree. Um, you know, I I also think. Modric has a shout for being our best midfielder, too, in a lot of ways. But, like, it doesn't fit what we're trying to do. It doesn't fit the system. It doesn't fit what Carlo is trying to implement. While Fede actually is the perfect representation of what Carlo is trying to implement and Carlo is trying to do. Um, And Fede gets the first goal of the game and assist by Fran. And, you know... This is a Fede Valverde that after the World Cup wasn't himself. And a lot of people were saying, uh, maybe it's time to move on from Fede. Maybe it's, you know, maybe he just isn't, you know, what we think he is. You know, uh, people are very reactionary considering Fede did score like 10 goals pre-World Cup, essentially. Um but, you know, his second half left a lot more to be desired. He wasn't the same player. But we weren't the same team post-World Cup that we were pre-World Cup either. Um, we were getting shit done without Kareem Benzema pre-World Cup. Um, and then post-World Cup, really, it was just Vinicius and Inshallah, you know? Um, but Fede is someone that we really need to step up if we're going to be successful. And he has stepped up this year on that right flank in a lot of ways. Um, Fede gets that goal. It's his first of the year. But he's been influential in every single game up to this point. And as you talked about, Fede probably is our best midfielder for this system. And 
you know, he contributes defensively. He covers for Danny when he pushes up high. He contributes in midfield. He contributes in ball progression. He contributes offensively as well. You know, uh, he plays great balls. Um, and not only that, just he's a late runner into the box, which opens up, and that's how he gets the goal from a ball from Fran. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add about just Fede maybe in general or about Fede's game? Just that he's the GOAT. Yeah, easy enough. And, you know, we can kind of just transition to this and talking about the other midfield goals. Uh, Chuameni has been awesome this year, but, you know, he played both games on international break. And I know he was only in France, but he came back. He didn't really look himself. Was he good? I thought he was good, but was he up to the level that he has been at for the past couple games? I guess only four games to this point, but still. It holds merit. Um, and then Bellingham also played two games on international break. Uh, wasn't really able to work in the half spaces like he has been. Uh, dealing with the double pivot of Supermeni and Mikel Moreno is not easy ever. Um, and, you know, they're two of the best DMs in the world, bar none. Um, so, you know, Jude had to drop a little bit deeper, maybe play more of an eight instead of a 10 in a lot of ways this past game. Um, and I didn't think Jude was bad, but, you know, he wasn't as good as he had been um, in previous games. When you look at his touches, his touches were down, which means, you know, he wasn't receiving the ball as much as he has been. Um, do you have anything that you want to add to Chuameni or Bellingham's game from Real Sociedad or beyond? So, I mean, I think the reason why Chuameni, or I'm going to actually start with Bellingham, the reason why Jude wasn't really that, I mean, I didn't think he was that involved in the game because we relied so heavily on crosses. We relied so heavily on our playing on the wings. We didn't really play that deep. I mean, that's kind of how we scored the second goal, um, with a cross from Fran to Hizulu. Um... So when you don't play through the middle that as much, you don't you don't necessarily feel the presence of Jude Bellingham. But I did feel I did feel his his presence in the buildup itself. Um, he was good on transitions. He was he was he he was he he was always in in a, in a good position in the box. Didn't always pan out, but he was always in a good position in the box. I mean, he he almost scored a header from Brahim Cross, who by the way should have played more. But that's a conversation for another day. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not a typical Jude performance, but I guess it's something that's to be expected from a player who played, um, two games with England, and then he came back to play 90 minutes with Real Madrid for absolutely no fucking reason, just because our coach didn't want to sub him off for some deluded reason that only he knows. Um, and for many, I think it's, the same basically he played with France for 90 minutes uh two games 90 minutes and you know he even scored a goal which was an amazing goal by the way um but yeah I didn't I didn't really feel the presence of Chuameni but again it's to be expected uh because again you know even Sociedad played through the wings I mean 
when I saw Susie Sociedad's formation and the way they play, I mean, they played, they actually are quite similar to the way that we set up. I mean, they have two wingers who are um, Kubo and Oyarzabal at a, you know, playing attackers. And they, they, they also play a diamond. They also play a 4-4-2. Um, so, similarly, the same criticisms apply. I mean, you don't see Chiuameni as much because Zilsi that didn't play through the middle. They played, um, they played more on the wings, just especially, they relied heavily on Kubo in that game. So, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't feel the presence of Chiuameni throughout the game, but that's kind of, that kind of symbolizes the, uh, the, the, the DM role, really. I mean, you don't really feel the, the you don't really feel the presence of a player like Chuomeni unless he's off the pitch. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, he's international break, man. I mean, the players are probably pretty, pretty tired. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just, I just hope it doesn't really bite us in the ass. I mean, it already kind of bit us in the ass since Danny Carvajal is injured for ten days. We don't know if he's gonna play against Atletico Madrid, but yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, and personally, I probably would rest it, Danny, against uh, Union Berlin anyway. Um, just my personal opinion, I really wish we had an actual proper right back. But, you know, maybe it's not the worst because we know Union Berlin are going to play, you know, like most La Liga squads, like Adapé, you know, sit in a low block and try to hit us on the counter. Except they actually have the uh, players to punish you, unlike... Uh, um, but that being said, you know, you did mention Danny Carvajal, which is kind of where I wanted to go next. And, you know, five awesome performances from five games. And he picks up an overload and he played too much on international break. I know he played Tuesday on Cyprus. and uh, You and I discussed before just the fact that, you know, I said maybe Danny's only a once a week kind of player. Uh and maybe he's just shown us that that's all he is. But if he is that, then we need a proper backup for him. Because this system relies so much on the width that him and Fran Garcia provide. And you talked about how, you know, uh, everything worked out through the wings against Sociedad. And that went for both teams. Um as you mentioned, but, you know, both teams are very narrow. They were narrow because, you know, they were, they wanted the switch of play because, you know, they felt that they could shift. They held a very clean line. It was clean throughout the entire game. Fran Garcia was offsides. I don't know how many times just in the first half. Um, and, you know, but that, that width was there the whole time. And, you know, we need a right back that can provide the width and play a great ball. Um, and, you know, that's not a knock on Lucas Vasquez. It's not a knock on Nacho. But, you know, Nacho leaves more to be desired in the attacking third. Where, you know, Nacho plays good crosses, but, you know, he's not going to beat a man like Danny Carvajal can. Um, and Danny Carvajal is not really that player anymore, but he still has some left in the tank, and you can see that. Um, 
And with Lucas Vasquez, you know, he's just not a very good decision maker. That's kind of always been his issue, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, with Danny being out, we can talk about Danny's performance. Um, but also, with Danny being out, who who, did, who would you want to start against Gene Berlin? Because even for me, with my problems with Lucas Vasquez as a player, I still think he's probably the better player for the opponent. I mean, like it, like we said before, I mean, we play four four two, so it doesn't really matter having Lucas Vasquez. I mean, he's not going to be as good offensively, but at least you don't have to worry as much about him defensively because you'll have uh, Fede Valverde tracking back and, you know, providing that cover. So, I, I mean, I, you know, as bad as Lucas Vasquez is, he's definitely better offensively than uh, Nacho. So yeah, I would definitely start Lucas Vasquez just because, just because the formation would allow a player like Lucas Vasquez to play better than he would be otherwise. And Carlo has given Lucas Vasquez a weird amount of minutes for whatever reason, um, in a like different, more of like a right mid kind of role than like a right winger kind of role. It kind of seems like. Lucas Vasquez is, like, not higher than Raheem on the pecking order. But, like, it seems like Carlo favors putting him on over Raheem at times because he's been on the pitch before Raheem a couple of times. And, you know, that's frustrating for me because Raheem is a better player. And like you said, you know, he keeps pulling off Jose Lu and putting on Luka Modric and, you know, Pulling off Rodrigo and putting on, you know, Raheem or whoever he put on at the time. And it's just like, we don't really have that many attackers. But, you know, well, God forbid we conceded a goal. Where Where is the firepower going to come from if you pull off these attackers? Is Lucas Vasquez your answer? Because I fucking hope not. Yeah, honestly, just it's a it's a big problem with Carlo Ancelotti when it comes to subs. It always has been. I mean, it pisses me off because you see a player like Gonzalez who's been tearing it up with Castilla, right? He was supposed to play against Atletico Madrid, but he didn't. Why? Well, because Carlo Ancelotti wanted him in the squad for the first team, so he didn't play. He was he was, he was kept on the bench. And then we called him up, but he didn't play against Sociedad, not a single minute. Nico Paz, same thing, but Nico Paz didn't play against Atletico, and he, he, did, he was kind of injured, so I guess it was better. But you have Brahim, and you only gave him like five minutes, so it does not make any sense to me. Every time Brahim Diaz was on the pitch, even, if it, even for five minutes, he made, he made an impact. He made an impact. Against, um, I want to say, Almeria, or was it Celta? I don't really remember. He he made an impact against Itafe. I felt his impact. I, I, I honestly thought that had had he not been on the pitch, he would not have won that game. I felt his presence last game against against Sociedad. It was he was definitely there because even 
if he didn't have that many touches, even if he didn't, you know, have a shot on goal, whatever, he still made a great run that could have easily resulted in a goal if it wasn't for um for an amazing save from Sociedad's goalkeeper, who was, by the way, amazing. Um, but just the fact that Carlo was not does not give him enough minutes just doesn't sit right with me. The fact that he doesn't get, does so far. Gonzalez has not made his senior debut. Doesn't sit right with me, even though he's been sitting on on our bench for a good while now. But he hasn't played a single minute for some fucking reason. And apparently he's going to be called up for tomorrow's game as well. So it's 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 definitely not a good idea to pull away players from the youth system if you're not gonna use them because then they're just not they're just gonna stop developing I think the thing the same thing happened to Alvaro I mean he was good with Castilla and then we decided to call him up for the first team and he actually did well and then Carlos said no you're too too well I'm not gonna use you anymore for some fucking reason and then he just he 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 just wasn't the same as Castilla anymore and I honestly think that was one of the reasons why we did not the 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 Castilla team did not qualify to um to Segunda because they basically lost their main striker who was not on good form because of the because of how Carlo Ancelotti treated him the first thing. Um and um and yeah, I mean we j- we don't have the best attacking options. We don't have that many attacking options. But the fact is, Carlo Ancelotti is not doing himself any favors with not using the players that he already has. Uh, Gonzalo Garcia, you know, I don't know if you've been watching the documentary of Juventus A on uh, Real Madrid play. I have. I mean, that kid was a big reason that they were so good. Um. And he's probably he's probably the best player along with Nico Paz on that uh, Castilla team. Honestly, I don't know. I haven't really seen the Castilla team much, but from what I've seen from those two, they seem to be the two best. Um, that being said, you know, taking them away from Castilla is a big deal, and if they're not going to play, you shouldn't be taking them from there. And you know what? Truth be told, they probably shouldn't be playing with the first team anyway. Either of them. Keep them with Castilla. Let them help Castilla. Let them help Castilla potentially get promoted. I mean, I can think of a million reasons why they should stay with Castilla over just, yeah, for a Champions League game, sure, bring them. No big deal. Because Castilla is not going to play on a Wednesday. But, you know, they're missing a training session on a Wednesday. They're missing a game when they travel, you know. Well, they didn't really travel, but when they're with the first team, right? So, that being said, I I just, you know, I'd rather Brahim get those minutes than Nico Paz and Gonzalo Garcia, but Brahim's not even getting those minutes, and it's just very frustrating because Brahim's actually a fantastic player, and he deserves better than what he's been given. And, you know, he's been instrumental, like... You know, devil's advocate here. Maybe the only reason Raheem's been so good is because he's playing against tired legs when we're up a goal or two. So, you know, the team is 
pushing for one, not really defending. Um, but, you know, I can't hold that against him when those are the only minutes he's getting. Like, Carlo, give the kid some fucking minutes when it matters. Please. Like, I, I want to see him start. I want to see him play. I, I would love to see him start against, like, Union Berlin tomorrow, but it just doesn't make sense, right? Like, but it's not like Rodrigo has looked amazing. You know, and it's not a knock on Rodrigo, but it's not like he's been, you know, the Rodrigo we expect from him since Vinicius has gone out. Maybe Rodrigo's not the guy to lead the line, and I'm not saying fucking uh, Brahim is, but at least with Brahim, you know, he's going to always drop in the hole, and he's not going to hide. Brahim doesn't hide. Um, you know, there have been games where Rodrigo, you don't even realize he's on the field. And this isn't me saying Brahim is better than Rodrigo, but, you know, the point being is if Rodrigo is not giving you much, why not just give Brahim a chance? You know what I mean? Because Jose Lu has kind of taken his chance by the horns and, you know, Jose lu has been very good. And anyone that's shitting on Jose Lu isn't a real Madridista and doesn't really understand the Bernabeu and has never been to the Bernabeu and doesn't understand, you know, like anyone that's shitting on Fran Garcia doesn't understand the Bernabeu. The Bernabeu is okay with Fran making mistakes. They know he's not going to be perfect. He's a young kid. They know that. He's a young Spanish kid. He's a La Fabrica. They're going to give him a chance. You know, I I'd, I'd heard that uh, in the stadium he made a back pass, you know, like the one he made against Atafe, and the whole stadium applauded him. It was a simple back pass, and they just wanted to let him know that they don't blame him, you know, for the misfortune of the bad pass. And, you know, that's just kind of the way that the – Burnabout worse. The Burnabout wasn't mad that Jose Lu missed that chance. While people were bitching on Twitter, which it was really Danny Carvajal's shitty pass that made him miss because it was behind him. But, you know, that's that's not really important because guess what? He redeemed himself. He got the game-winning goal. And Jose Lu has, you know, he's not going to be that involved. That's not the kind of striker he is. He's not Kareem Benzema. You know, you don't ask fucking... You don't ask Zlatan to be Cristiano. You know, you can't ask Jose Lu to be... Benzema, they're not the same players. You know, I'm not going to ask Bellingham to fucking do what Cristiano did. I'm not, just like you don't ask Vinny to be Cristiano. You know, because they're two different profiles. So, you know, all that being said, just if you give Jose Lu chances, he's going to finish them. And that's kind of, you know, and I'm not saying just feed Jose Lu, feed Jose Lu. You know, if it's there, feed him. But, you know, if you throw a cross to Jose Lu, He's going to win that header eight times out of ten if it's close to him. So, you know, he's got good movement in the box. He's a good finisher sometimes. Like, he's not like Cristiano-esque finishing. And he's, you know, let's be honest. He's probably going to underperform his XG. Um, But, you know, the goal that he didn't score wasn't his fault. You know, it, it takes – we act like scoring goals is easy. You know, but we all know it's not. We all talk about how it's the hardest thing to do in the game. But whenever someone misses a chance, we're like, oh, fucking Jose Lu, fuck you. Like, no, no, that's not how this should work. I know it's a little off topic, but it's on topic for the game. Like, our fans just need to do a better job of respecting who a player is and having that player 
succeed. You know, is Jose Lewis starting nine for Real Madrid level? Probably not. Like, at the end of the day, he's probably not. But can he do a job? Sure, he can do a job. I know I went off on a tangent, but, you know, I said a lot of different things. So if you want to add anything or push back on anything I said, go for it. Yeah, I mean, I'm proud. I mean, to make a mistake is pretty, pretty common for a player his age is not very serious when it comes to playing for a couple of biggest in Madrid. But the, the reason why you need to make mistakes is this, because it will give you strength to, to fight back, right, and prove yourself after. I mean, he did not, maybe he didn't have the best first half, but still, you know, he stood his ground and basically won us the game, made two great assists and won us the game. Um, that's, that's why you should always back your players, especially when they're new, because the mistakes they make, they will learn from them and therefore be better from now on. Right? He will have, uh, um, he will have confidence boost now. He, he will feel better about himself. He will feel better about his football because he knows that even if he makes a mistake, he will always be able to fix them. Um, he will try not to make mistakes, but if 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 it does, he'll have enough confidence to to still stand his ground, get up, and you know do better. Um, but you know, for Suzy Lou, I mean, not but I mean, my stance on Suzy Lou did not change since you know since we first signed him. He's an amazing striker. I love Suzy Lou. I love the way Suzy Lou plays. I mean, he scored against. He scored in with um he he gave, he scored a goal and gave an assist with um Spain in a national break and then he he scored a goal against Sociedad. Fuck how many chances he misses! I don't give a shit how many chances a striker misses. If you look at um if you look at Mbappe, if you look at Lewandowski, if you look at um Giroud, if you look at you know if you look at every single striker in Europe they missed a ton of chances. If you look at I watch Cristiano every single day, every single game in Saudi Arabia and he misses a ton of chances. But guess what? All it takes is just one goal, one chance and no one would give a shit, right? But somehow when when Huzilu, you know, misses a chance, it's a big deal. But it's not. It's it's never a big deal for a striker to miss a chance because that's that, that's the job. The job is to shoot. Um, when when basically every chance the team creates for what that one striker in the box, you know, he will miss. He will miss the easiest chances, but that doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't mean that he's not a Real Madrid level striker. That doesn't make sense to me because guess what? Kareem Benzema missed a ton of chances. Nobody said anything. Um, Cristiano used to miss a lot of chances. Alvaro Morata used to miss a lot of chances. Every single striker in the history of Real Madrid used to miss a ton of chances. Easy, difficult. It happens. It will always happen. Because that's how strikers operate. They miss chances, but all they need is one, that one chance, that one goal. So, if you hold that shit, if you hold that chance, if, if you hold that one miss against Jose Lu, I would only assume that you have an agenda because it's normal to miss chances. Um, so, I, and I mean, if you look at his goal scoring record, he 
uh, he gives a goal contribution. I mean, for this season at least, he gives a goal contribution every 61 minutes. That's fucking awesome for a striker who's not supposed to be a, a, a starting striker for Real He was spot to be a backup. But I would have no problem Jose Lu being our main striker. And I read a tweet the other day saying, yeah, Jose Lu's decent, but thing is, you know, if you play Manchester City, he just doesn't scare them. Dude, I mean, this is not a horror house. I mean, it doesn't, it, it, it really makes no sense for a striker to scare you. All it takes is their striker to fucking score. I mean, one chance, one goal, like I said. So, it just, it feels like our fans are just mad that he's a striker who came from Espanol. But if he, if he, if he was a striker who came, if he was a French striker who came from the Bundesliga for 80 million or 100 million, he would have been definitely worth it. But because he's a 33-year-old Spanish striker who came from Espanol, who, by the way, he scored 16 goals with Espanol last season, even though Espanol were a relegation side. Yeah. He was top three La Liga strikers, even though he played for a relegation side. He scored five goals less than Karim Benzema, even though Karim Benzema plays for Real Madrid and he plays for Espanol. So, yeah. Um, I'm a huge Hulu fan, and honestly, I... If 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 somehow you, you you're gonna watch a Real Madrid game just to hold every chance that he misses against them, then you might as well just turn off the TV and go support Barcelona. Enjoy um, Robert Lewandowski, who's been shitting, uh, who's been also who's also been been criticized with Barcelona. You know, go watch Chelsea and, and Nicolas Jackson. I don't fucking care. Go fucking watch uh, Manchester United and Hoyland, who's who you know who cost Manchester United eighty million, who hasn't scored a, a, a debut goal yet. Um, there's a lot of you know examples. There's not a lot of good strikers in Europe. I've heard Real Madrid fans scream for like a player like Deco for a billion years just because he would have made a great striker for Real Madrid or a great backup or whatever. But once we have that caliber of player, that veteran player who's okay being on the bench, who's still scoring goals, suddenly we're going to point the fingers and say, no, actually, we don't want him. He's not our number nine. We deserve better. So, yeah. Just kidding. So I actually think think their problem isn't necessarily with Jose Lu. I think it's more so with the club and only signing Jose Lu. You know what I mean? And I know that's not something that you probably disagree with. But there's no reason to take it out on Jose Lu and act like he's some fucking scrub, you know. And just the reactionariness of all of this is just ridiculous. You know, I, I see people complaining and bitching. And if we lose another center back, blah, blah, like, dude, we lost Millie Tao to an ACL injury. You know, people bitching about Keppa. We lost Tebow to an ACL injury. We got a keeper on loan, a good keeper on loan. He's not great. He's not amazing. But guess what? He's done a damn good job to this point. Has he lost a game? No. Has he conceded a couple goals? Yeah. Do you expect more from him? Yeah. Do you expect him to be stronger in the air and not, you know, have his jersey tugged and him act like a little bitch? Yeah. But you know what? I'm tired of the bitching about every little fucking thing. Don't critique players that aren't meant to be starters. Critique, you know, 
Critique Kamavinga, critique Fede, critique Bellingham, critique Vinicius, critique Rodrigo. You know what I'm saying? Like, critique the guys that have fucking been here, the guys that we spent a lot of money on. Critique those guys. Because we know what's expected of them. You know? Like, we know what's expected of them. Jose Luis already outperforming what, what was expected of him. He's a backup striker that we've played five games and he has two goals and an assist. So he's averaging over, you know, per our games, over a goal contribution a game. Like, like you said, every 61 minutes. You know, and I know your thoughts on Rodrigo. Um, how did you rate his performance in general from the game? So, I don't think Rodrigo played a bad game. He was pretty dangerous. So, I saw, I saw a stat that said that Rodrigo had the most shots of any player in La Liga so far. And for me, that makes sense. I mean, I guess he just feels like he has, he's got, he feels like he must score. He feels like he's got the world's weight on his shoulders that he needs to score a goal because, you know, since Vinicius got injured, he's basically been leading our attack. So I just say, I, I feel like he's just, he's, he's feeling the pressure. He's trying to deal with, deal with it, but he's not doing the best job that he could. I do think that he's a really dangerous player. I, I think he, um, I think we play better with him than without him. <laughs> But, you know, when you play for Ramadan, you just have to do better. He needs to do, he just needs to focus more. He needs to stop being, being selfish. He needs to start measuring his shots. Because he can't be shooting from every single position. That um, he feels like he's, he could score from. Sometimes he's got you know, dribble. You just gotta pass the ball around. Make it back. back. You don't. You don't always have to shoot from no man's land just because you feel the need to. Um, but that's basically what he's been doing lately, and it's really disappointing. But <laughs> I do think uh, I do think he'll bounce back, and I do think that all he needs to do like a couple of goals, and he'll be he'll be really crucial for us. Are you concerned that, you know, this was supposed to be his time to step up without Vinicius? Or do you think that, like, so I guess where I, my thought process comes in here is just the fact that, like, on the surface, is Rodrigo doing fine? Yes. Is he living up to the expectations of him? Personally, I don't really think so. This is a guy that was hailed better than Vinicius, hailed the best of the three, you know, of Rainier, Jesus, Vinny, and Rodrigo. He was the best. Um, and so, you know, personally, I just expect more from him. And, you know, he's doing a lot. But, you know, I just don't really know if he's ever going to be good enough to be the guy at Real Madrid. Like, 
I heard Lucas Navarrete say it this way. He's like, if Rodrigo is in your – no, he said it this way, but he was insinuating a, about a certain amount of players. He's like, if you're trying to win a treble, you know, like you're expecting to have some of the best players, you know, of that era in multiple positions. And when you look at this team currently, there's not, you know, you would just expect more. You expect better. Right, like you, you would expect like Alfonso Davies to be your left back if you're competing for the treble. You know, like you look at Real Madrid's three P, every single position. Like, let's just say whoever you want to say was the third best attacker in the Bale, Benzema, Ronaldo. Let's just say you say it's Bale. Let's say you say it's Benzema. Like, you're still talking about. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. But like, point being is that you know, even Isco, right, like. That attack has literally three of the best players in the world right there. And I don't necessarily think it's Rodrigo's fault or Fran Garcia's fault that he's our left back. I just think that football really lacks just personality. It lacks, I don't want to say talent, but like, you know, we talk a lot about Rodrigo's best position is left wing. Rodrigo's best position is second striker. Rodrigo's best position is 10. But guess what? He's never going to play those positions at Real Madrid unless Vinny's hurt, right? And even if you if you bring in a striker, he's not going to play striker, right? Like, you bring in Holland, he's not going to play striker. And is there an upgrade on right wing right now? Probably not. But, like, you expect there to be eventually, right? And hopefully soon. Um, but, you know, also, you look at the left wing, and, like, let's just put wingers in a box and not differentiate between left and right wing. There's multiple wingers that are better than him on the left wing that, you know, we don't actually know if they can play right wing. Probably not like Rafael, Rafael, Rafael Leal, like fucking proper baller. And I'm not saying Rodrigo's not that, but he's a proper baller and, you know, but he plays on the left. We don't know if he, how he is on the right. Um, you know, and I kind of tend to agree with Lucas in that sense and putting my own spin on it is like, if he's never going to play in his best positions at Real Madrid, then not what's the point, but like, I know you're very pro Rodrigo and I don't even know what I'm getting at necessarily, but like there's just room to improve essentially is what I'm saying. I mean, like many things that Lucas says, I tend to disagree. I mean, he's 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 always, or not always. Lately, he's been a pretty pessimistic guy. He's been pissing me off. Kind of. He said he's been saying doing that on purpose because that's what uh, he's kind of become known as, as like a pessimistic kid. That's kind of annoying, but yeah, I just don't really just I don't really agree. I don't think you need the best player in each position to win the treble. What you need is a group of players who know who know exactly what <clears throat> who know exactly what to do. Yeah, okay well if you look at our midfield we basically have the the best midfield in the world. If you look at you know our center backs we have some of the best center backs in the world. You know if Danny Carvajal is putting in, you know, a six out of ten performances, that's good enough to win the treble. If 
Frank Garcia's put it in a 7 out of 10 performances, that's good enough to win the treble. Um, at the end of the day, you just need players who know how to put the ball in the back of the net. You don't really need Benzema, Bale, and Vinicius, Benzema, Bale, and uh, Cristiano to win the treble. I mean, not even that team won the treble anyway. So, you just... Zidane's fault. Yeah, Zidane and Danilo, unfortunately. Um, but I just... I think if you have a, a, group of, a group of players, a group of talented young players who know the way of the club, who know, who understand the way the coach wants to play, a group of ambitious players who um, who just want to win, you will win the trouble. It doesn't, you don't have to have a 10 out of 10 player in each position. Like Manchester City won the trouble. They don't, they don't have a 10 out of 10 players in each position that they have on pitch, in my opinion. I mean, our midfield is better than City. Um, I, I mean, they don't even have a proper left. Uh, it's just, it's what makes Man City stand out is Pep Guardiola's system. So much so that if you put one of their players in another team, they would probably suck, right? And that's my point. Either you just don't need the best players in each position to win the trouble. You just need a system that works, players that understand it, players who are ambitious, who have a bit of talent. Or a lot of talent, which our players do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I, I look at almost every team in Europe right now. I don't see a perfect team at all. I mean, there are teams that don't have strikers. There are teams that don't have good wingers. There are teams that don't have full, good fullbacks. I mean, basically every single top team in Europe today is looking for a right back, and they just can't find one. So it doesn't just yeah maybe there is a big issue when it comes to talent right now but I just don't think that's the reason why we can't win the trouble we just need to focus our efforts towards doing that we just need to take every single competition seriously that's basically it um and for Rodrigo yeah. I think he's he, no go sorry no. I was just gonna add something go yeah so when it comes to Rodrigo I think. Yeah, I am pro Rodrigo, and I'm also pro Vinicius. I'm pro who's I'm pro pretty much all, all our players. Except Lucas Vasquez. Rodrigo's, yeah, hopefully we don't renew his contract. I don't think we will, but hopefully we don't. Hopefully they do. So yeah, I think Rodrigo is an amazing player. I think he's gonna work pretty well here. I mean, I don't even know what's the plan once we sign him back because I don't know if you're red, but. Mauricio Romano basically confirmed that uh, he's coming next summer. Uh, yeah, we've heard that before, though. Yeah, we've heard that before. Yeah, but before, not from though. Fabrizio. But never from Fabrizio. He never really confirmed it. Two summers, always... two summers ago, he said it, though, on the free. Two summers ago? No. Yeah, on the free. He said it a couple times. I'm sure he went and deleted the tweets, but he had a, said that it was free... like, it was just waiting. I mean, it was I, I, maybe it was just a prediction, really. But he said he said on a free, you know, he said that his our mo his uh, that the most likely destination for for Mbappe was to join us for free. I mean, basically everyone 
thought that would happen, but he never really said, yeah, he's, he is going to Real Madrid, which he did today. Um, but either way, I mean, if you, if you take into consideration that we will sign an attacker, be it Mbappe or someone else, will it affect the, the way that the team plays now? Because we're not going to use a 4-4-2, because then you put in Rodrigo into the mix, you put Vinicius into the mix, and whoever attacker that you sign, be it Holland, be it Mbappe, be it... Um, be it the Liverpoolian striker that you know, I don't I don't for, I forget his name. That Boniface. striker. Yeah, Boniface. I yeah I really like I really fucking like him. Uh, yeah, be it whoever, right? Our our style of play will definitely change if we do sign an attacker, and if it doesn't, then choices will have to be made, right? Will Rodrigo be satisfied with sitting on the bench? I don't really think so. Yeah, but I doubt it. I guess it will all have to do with the way that Mr. Chabi Alonso hopefully will play. Hopefully. hopefully. So and I guess if, there was a, if there was a manager that I would trust that if I just gave him a random team to figure it out, there's only a couple. Um, Julian Nagelsmann's obviously one of them. But just because of what he did at Bayern last year with literally no striker except for Chupa Motang, who is literally like a Jose Lu-level striker, um, I I trust Xavi Alonso a lot because he gets really, really creative with that um, Leverkusen side. Um, really, really creative. I'm... You know me. I'm always over the moon for Chabi Alonso, but man, I just I love that guy. Any other thoughts yeah, about the Sociedad game yourself or no? Because we can talk about Chabi Alonso if you like. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say I watched the game against Bayern and holy fuck, man. I was so impressed with Chabi. The way he took a bunch of you know, not so known players, um, and made them basically compete for the Bundesliga is pretty impressive. I mean, if you look at that Leverkusen side, there's like three prominent players, and that's uh, Fritz, that's Frimpong, and that's Boniface, right? The rest of the players are good, but like. You would find them in basically every single club in Europe. They're not really that special, but yet he created a system where each and every single player is looks and feels special. Well, Palacios um, is a like beast said, at the DM role. Like, he's a monster. Yeah, but he's... And then he brought in Chaka, too, like, who is not, like, a well-known, like, top-tier player, and he's just performing really well. Yeah, I mean, he's a well-known, but he's not a top-tier player. He never was, he never will be, but he's just a player of the system. He was good in Arteta's system. He was good in Embry's system, um, but never really a standout player, which is basically my point. I mean, that's all you got to do to win trophies. You just need a group of players that understand the way that you play. And, just, and you would find the perfect formula to utilize every single every single player and every single ability that each player has, 
right? You don't have to, each, they don't have to be special. They just got to understand the way that you want to play, which Xavi Alonso does perfectly. And that's why if there's one perfect manager for us, I mean, the, one of the things that he has over the uh, Galsman is really because he's Spanish and because he's a Real Madrid legend, right? So players are naturally going to respect him more. Players are naturally going to understand him more. Um, you know, he, he talks German, he knows English, he knows Spanish, so it'll be, be it'll be much easier to communicate with everybody, basically. So, yeah. For me, Javi Alonso 2024. I've said it for the last couple of years, I want Javi Alonso to be our next coach, and I hope it happens. Yeah. You know, me too. I'm a huge Xavi Alonso fan, always have been. Um, you know, he's one of my favorite players when I got into football. And, you know, I was lucky enough to meet him. You know, and I'm, I'm going to cherish that for the rest of my fucking life. Um, but, you know, I think that he's a, he's a great mix of tactical and uh, man management. You know, you see all of his players are happy with him. You see that the players were happy with him when he was at Sociedad, um, coaching the youth ranks, um, getting them promoted uh, to Segunda. And, you know, he just, if if Iguacil wasn't at Sociedad, he probably would have been their first team coach by now. And he'll probably coach there one day. You know, I, I expect Chabi Alonso not to be only a Real Madrid coach for the rest of his career. You know, he'll probably coach at Liverpool. He'll probably coach at Bayern. He'll probably coach at, you know, Sociedad one day. You know, this is a guy that isn't a one-club kind of guy. And, you know, you shouldn't expect him to be. But, you know, for the near future, he, he should be the guy that, you know, if Real Madrid don't snatch him up in 2024, it's going to be a big mistake. Big mistake. Because Leverkusen is punching way above their weight, and they are a fantastic side that is really fun to watch. And, you know, I've been tuning into them for two years now since Chavi took over. I guess like a year, about a year now, because I guess their coach got fired about but this point, but I guess two seasons, right? So he's a great guy. He's a great manager. He know, like you said, he knows English, Spanish, German. He knows Real Madrid. The club respects him. The players will respect him. Which you know, with someone like Nagelsmann, you don't really know if that will happen. Um, he had some mutiny on his hands at um, Bayern, unfortunately. But you know, Julian Nagelsmann or Chabi Alonso, twenty twenty four. But I, I'm I'm leaning Chabi Alonso like ninety nine percent. And, like, the only reason Julian Nagelsmann is being mentioned by me is just because I believe that if you don't get Chabi, Julian's a very good second option. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, my hope right now is that... Anything else you want to add? He hangs on at Leverkusen until 2024, until, um, until next season. Because the way that... Byron is right now, and how harmonious their players are. I just hope that they do not sack Tuchel because I think I feel like the first thing that they'll do 
his look to sign Javi Alonso. I hope he says no. I hope they don't go for him. I don't hope that so. I hope that Tuchel does not get sacked. Even though, honestly, it's looking more likely every single game. I hope they look elsewhere. I hope, like I said, I hope he says no. I really want Chabi Alonso here, but you know, if 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 he doesn't come here next year, I guess you know Nagelsmann will also be a good option. But you know, for now, I think Nagelsmann is also an an option for um German national team. But I I guess we'll see. There's a lot of there. I mean, there's a couple of good coaches on the on the market right now. So I guess we'll see for for next year. You know. We don't even know if Carlo will leave. I hope he does. I think. Uh, I think. Um, I think that uh, his time is up. Really, not not because he's bad. It's just it. It's just we need that extra. We need a. We need a. We need spirit. We need. We need a revival of some sort. Um, not just in terms of players, but you know, management as well. Um, I mean, like three seasons after he comes back, after he came back in uh, 2021, and um, you know, managing the Brazilian national team, you know, taking them uh, to Copa, maybe winning the World Cup in in America, in Mexico, in Canada. Um, I mean, that will be that will be great for Paulo Ancelotti's legacy because, you know, he's also an amazing coach. I mean, you talk about Javi Alonso, but, you know, Paulo Ancelotti is always a, is, is also, like, a, an amazing coach. We should be always, we should always respect, but, yeah, 2024, Javi Alonso, Ancelotti goes to Brazil. That would be the perfect ending. Yeah, couldn't agree anymore. Anything else you want to talk about? No. No, I'm good. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to La Casa Blanca podcast. Go follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at La Casa Blanca pod. Also, before we go, Union Berlin tomorrow, who do you want your starting lineup to be? Just quick. Um, Kappa, Rudiger Alaba, Lucas Vasquez, Frank Garcia, Chulameni, Fede, Kamavinga. Jude Bellingham, Rodrigo, and Jose Lou. That's probably going to be the starting lineup, so I'll just go with the same. Thank you all for listening. Hala Madrid, Inada Mas, and have a wonderful day.